0: can someone just give me a sound check please um, make sure everyone can hear me does it sound okay So if someone can just please quickly give me a uh, just a quick message on the portal saying that the sound's okay and everyone can hear me, so first lesson of the year so I just want to make sure that I've uh, set up everything correctly Okay, excellent Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Rabbil Alameen وأشهد أن لا الله وحده لا الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن محمدًا عبده ورسوله الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك محمد وعلى آله so first of all welcome uh, back everyone uh, for our for our first lesson inshallah ta'ala of QP five so Alhamdulillah, uh, we are now on our fiftieth Quranic progression and uh, that sounds like a long time but it only seems like yesterday when we first began with the tafsir of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I hope that everyone had a good summer, that Allah azza wa jal, uh, made a projective for you and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept you all safe and while you and your families uh, and inshallah ta'ala you had a, uh, a good rest and break also um, and inshallah ta'ala we're ready for our new academic year. Uh, we had the QP exam last year uh, sorry. Last year, last week, last weekend, the QP exam and the deferral date for those of you that couldn't make last weekend, Inshallah Taala will be this weekend. And so, if you weren't able to take the exam over the last couple of days, for whatever reason, uh, your final opportunity will be for this weekend. And I think it's a good, uh, you know, it's a good uh, way of memorizing, of revising, of going over the notes of just kind of like refreshing yourself before we begin. Inshallah Taala with our fifth year of QP. So that's the main announcement that I have. So for those of you that didn't take the exam over the last couple of days, please inshallah ta'ala do, this, do so this week. And then inshallah ta'ala, I will mention some certain things about the exams or uh, the exam next week inshallah ta'ala in next week's lesson. So to begin off uh, and to kick off this year inshallah ta'ala, uh, as you can see, we're going to be doing QP this year online. Uh, so inshallah ta'ala for this year, this academic year at least, we will continue to be online so there won't be a QP lesson in any masjid in Birmingham uh, we were at Masjid al-Hikmah a couple of years back before Covid uh, but inshallah ta'ala from now or for this year anyway at least we're going to be inshallah ta'ala continuing online uh, just to clarify that as well so inshallah ta'ala in today's first lesson we're going to be speaking about a science from the sciences of the Quran and in particular the sciences of Qira'a or the sciences of Quranic reading and recitation um, and one of the things that we're going to be focusing on more I think this year in terms of our uh, specials uh, you know because we do specials on different things and different subjects but I think the, the thing that we will focus on mostly this year seeing as now we're kind of into the fifth year is we'll be focusing on uh, the sciences that are related to the Quranic reading itself uh, and I'll explain what that means in a short while just in case it seems confusing. Uh, So that's probably what we're going going to be concentrating on more so in terms of our specials this year. And then inshallah ta'ala next week we're going to continue with our tafsir of the Qur'an just like our usual tafsir lessons as we do. But every so often as you know we do like a special either at the end of a surah or you know like towards the end of the year wherever. These specials I think this year will be kind of connected to the different sciences of Qur'anic reading, of qira'ah, of the reading and the recitation of the Qur'an. So what do I mean by that? So there's a general term that we call ulum Al-Qur'an, right, a science that we call the Qur'anic sciences. And those are the, the, the sciences that are you know perhaps well known to, to most of you or to many of you. It's the ones that we we studied I think last year was it the year before when we did a special uh, outside of QP. We did like two or three lessons on a poem by uh, known as the poem of a Zimzimi in the sciences of the Qur'an. And that's the kind of sciences that we talk about when we speak about the difference between makki and madani and the difference between revelation that was was received during uh, the time when the prophet was traveling and the time when he was resident and the recitation that was the, the revelation that was revealed to him during the night or during the day or all of those different things to do with the science of the Qur'an, nasikh and mansukh, and what abrogates and what doesn't abrogate and all of those different things that we speak about when it comes to the Qur'anic sciences. And that is a very wide and very you know uh, varied uh, field. Uh, and there are many scholars who wrote uh, upon that field also and perhaps from amongst the most famous of them, as I'm sure you're all aware, is Imam Siyuti, rahimahullah, in his famous book Al-Itqan Fi quran Um, and I don't know if that book has been translated Has anyone come across an English translation of Al-Itqan in Quran so I have like the Arabic uh, which is like a two volume edition uh, in Arabic and I don't know if there's an English translation but I have a feeling that someone started to translate it or maybe they even completed the translation so if if anyone knows of a translation if they can like post it into the comments uh, with the link or with the PDF or something that would be greatly appreciated. So those are the general sciences of the Qur'an. And the sciences of recitation of the Qur'an also come under that general umbrella. So that when we say ulum Al-Qur'an, it refers to anything and everything to do with the Book of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la. But then there is a, a more specific uh, categorization that we refer to the sciences of qira'ah, the sciences of Qur'anic reading. And one of those sciences we already did a special about, and so I don't think we're necessarily going to be repeating that particular special because it's available on the portal. And that's uh, the one that we did on qiraat, on qiraat. So there are six main sciences that are re- specific to the recitation of the Qur'an. And what I say, when I say the recitation of the Qur'an, what I mean is that if you were to pick up the Mus'haf, right, you pick up the Qur'an and you open it up, there are six direct sciences that are related to the reading and the recitation of the Qur'an. As opposed to the general categorization of ulum and Qur'an, the sciences of the Qur'an. So, <coughs> for example, if I was to say to you, you know, Mecki and Madani. By opening the Qur'an, generally speaking, you won't know whether it is a Mecki Surah or a Madani Surah, or whether these verses were revealed during the night or the day, or whether there was an Asbab nuzul as a cause of revelation behind it or not. And depending on the edition of the Mus'haf, the Qur'an that you have, uh, you know, you will find, for example, like in this one, which is the, the, the famous uh, printing that's done in Saudi Arabia. Uh, if, if I was to open, like for example, Surah Al-Imran, they will literally write only Surah Ali Imran and then Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim and then the beginning of the Surah and then in some other editions you will find you know like for example I think some of the Pakistani editions and Turkish ones and so on is sometimes I write the number of verses in the Surah and they also write within it whether it's Mecca or Medina and so on the Saudi printing or the the committee that was in charge of the printing of this they took the position of those companions of the Prophet sallallahu such as Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu and others that were of the position that you make tajreed of the mus- mushaf. They used to say jarridul masahif. What al masahif means is that empty out the mushaf from anything that isn't from it. So writing the number of verses at the beginning of a surah, so for example this is now surah al-Naml. Writing the number of verses at the beginning of the surah isn't from the Qur'an. The number of verses writing that this surah has 60 verses, that's not part of the Qur'an. right? No one reads that in prayer. No, that's not part of the Qur'an. Nor, for example, is whether it's Mecca or Madani. And as we, you know, for those of you that study with me, the Zimzim Zim poem, you will know, that there's actually, a in fact, we do it in our QP all the time. In a number of these surahs, there's actually a difference of opinion. Um, and the position of those companions w- would be that you probably don't even write the name of the surah because even amongst some of those names as we, we often study in our tafsir, there is also a difference of opinion. So the position of a number of the companions is you don't have anything in the Mus'haf except that which is done in terms of its recitation. That is called the recitation of the Qur'an. This was a position of one of the companions most famous amongst them was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Other companions weren't as stringent, and so on. And so, for example, the Saudi version of the or the Saudi edition, I should say, of the printing of the Quran or the Mushaf, is that they decided they would simply have the surah name. You know, which is a good thing because it just helps me and you and everyone else to know which surah they're reading, and so on. Because not everyone's an expert in the Quran or a half of the Quran. And then they would just simply have the basmala, which again is something which all of the companions agreed upon. So there is a jama'ah upon that. And then you have the Qur'an. You don't have anything else except those things within the book of Allah. Subhanahu Taala. And then you obviously have at the beginning of the end, you have the index pages and so on. But those aren't necessarily the mushaf, they're just additional pages that are mentioned at the beginning or at the end of the Qur'an. This, So when we say the sciences of Qur'anic reading, this is what we're referring to. So like I said, if you were to pick this up, and you were to open it, you wouldn't know what is Nasikh for mansukh. you wouldn't know the rulings of Fiqh, you wouldn't know, for example, is it Makki or Madani, just simply by reading. There are certain sciences, however, that are direct, ri- directly related to the reading of the Qur'an. And those are the sciences that inshallah ta'ala, in our specials this year that I want to focus on, or the ones that we haven't yet covered anyway. Those sciences are six. So when it comes to this reading of the Qur'an, there are six sciences. That are di- directly related to its reading. The first of them is Tajweed. Tajweed and Tajweed is essentially, as you know, as I'm sure everyone knows, how you recite the Quran. So how you pronounce the letters and how the, the different attributes that those letters are given and their pronunciation points within the mouth and the and the throat and so on. And then, for example, the different rulings of the different things in the Quran, from mud to Ghunnah to uh, you know to all of those different things and tarqiq and all of those different things that are considered to be from the rules of tajweed that's the first science directly related to quranic reading the second science is qira'at the second science is qira'at and those are the different modes of recitation in the olden days, you know, from the recitation of the people of Medina to the people of Mecca, to the people of Basra and Sham and Kufa and so on and so forth. And those are the differences that you will find, therefore, some of them in Tajweed rulings and they are called amongst the people of Qura, the Qur'a or the people of Qira'at, they are known as the Usul, the Usul of recitation of the Qur'an. So, for example, someone recites Taha and someone else recites Taha. Taha and Taha is one and the same verse, but the reading of it is different based upon the different dialects that the Arabs had during the time of the Prophet wasallam and after as well, even until our time today. There are different dialects that speak in different ways in the Arabic language. The Qur'an came with the different dialects of the Arabs and it incorporated them into the reading of the Qur'an. That is known as Qira'at or the difference may be in an actual word. So instead of Maliki Yawmiddin, Maliki al Malik and Malik. Malik means owner, Malik means king. Essentially, they're both referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but with a slightly different meaning, with a slightly different additional meaning. And so, therefore, that there is also a difference between the Qiraat. That is the second science that is directly related to Quranic reading. The third science that is directly related to the Quranic reading is what we call al rasm, the science of the script of the Quran. The script of the Quran. And, and you're going to have to like slightly pay attention to me. Really, inshallah, when we come to do these sciences, I'll, I'm going to try to get a setup with a whiteboard or something. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I will try to do something because otherwise it will be pretty much pointless. Some of these sciences require, and in fact, most of these sciences require actually practical uh, application in order for us to be able to understand them. But either way, inshallah, we will do what we can. When we say ilm al-rasm, the script what we're referring to is the shape of the words of the Qur'an. And what I mean by that is the form of the words of the Qur'an. So, for example, if you were to take the word... Let's make let's go to Surah Fatiha because then, inshallah ta'ala, you know, that's easy for everyone to kind of like follow. Um, if you were to look at, for example, the word Al-Alamin. Al-Alamin. The script of the Qur'an in Arabic is called Rasim. The script of the Qur'an is the, the form of the word Al-Alamin without any of the dots and without any of the vowels above or beneath the word. So just the form of the word, it is called the science of the script of the Quran that is called that is also one of the things that is directly related to the Quranic reading so for example you'll find now for those of you that know modern Arabic or have seen modern Arabic being written Al-Alamin in modern Arabic isn't written in the way that it's written in verse number 1 in the Quran or verse number 2 in the Quran if you're following this Mus'haf the word Al-Alamin now is we have Alif, lam Ain and an Alif and then we start with the lam Meem, yoo, Ya, and noon. that is how it is written today but in the Quran it's written as a single word with no gap Al-Alamin that is called Rasm. the dots and vowels and everything else is a separate science also to do with Quranic readings one of the six that we're going to be referring to and that is called Ilm al-Dabt Dabt means essentially vowels and dots In the time of the Prophet ﷺ and in the early time of the Companions, the Arabs never used to write with dots or with vowels. They would simply write a form without any dots. So a ya never had two dots underneath, a noon never had one dot above, the jeem didn't have a dot, none of these letters had dots. Nor did they put a fatha or a kasra or a dhamma or a mad or anything else. The Arabs never used to write except if you were to imagine this, without the dots and the vowels and everything else, just just the script, just the form of the words, that is how they would write in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and in the time of the Arabs, the early Arabs, and it continued into the time of the Companions. That is what it was written. And so that is called Ilm al-Rasm. And it is important to make a distinction between the two for a number of reasons. One we will mention shortly, but also because it is two different sciences. To confuse or conflate the two is problematic. So these are, that's the fourth science then, which is the ilm al-dabt, which is then you adding the dots and everything else. And the dots and stuff came later on. They came during the time of the tabi'een. And during the time of the tabi'een, as the Muslim empire expanded and you had all of these new Muslims coming into the religion and people from different parts of the world becoming Muslim. Not all of them are Arabs, not all of them understood. Like me and you now, if someone was to give us a book of Arabic without any Fathah, Dhamma or anything else, none of us would be able to read it. And even now, today, if you find an Arabic book that has the dots and stuff, but it doesn't have the Fathah and the Dhamma and the kasra, even someone who's memorized the Quran but isn't familiar with Arabic language, probably wouldn't be able to read. They would struggle greatly with, with the reading of the Arabic book. Imagine if it doesn't have anything, no dots, no vowels, nothing. That is Rasm. And then in the time the Tabi'een, as people started entering into Islam, they found that people were reading the Quran incorrectly. And it is said that one of the, the great, the, you know, the very famous scholars of the Arabic language during the time of the Tabi'een, a man by the name of Al Khalil ibn Ahmad, was asked by some of the leaders to write and, and to place into the Quran these dots and vowels. And he refused to do so because it wasn't the way of the Self, it wasn't the way of the companions or the way of the early Muslims. So he was, he was loath to do it. However, he then came across a group of people reciting the Quran incorrectly because of the lack of dots and the lack of vowels. They were reciting things in every way, shape and form. And so when he realized this and he saw this, then he said, okay, now this makes sense. Now I need to do this for the benefit of the wider Ummah. So that is the fourth of the sciences. So so far we've said Tajweed, we've said Qiraat, we've said Rasim, and we've said Dabd. The fifth science science that we have is called the science of Al-Waqf and al ibtida of how to start and how to stop where to start and when to stop in the quran and essentially what it refers to is more than the end of the verses it means during the verse when and where can you stop and when and where and how do you start that's something which i did a special on uh at the end of last uh the last academic year so just before ramadan as we broke up i was abroad i was traveling and that was one of the specials that we did however that's something i think that we will repeat inshallah at some point again simply because when i was traveling i didn't have as many of the resources that I needed to give that topic justice, and I should have and could have done better. And so, inshallah ta'ala, it's something which we will repeat just because I think it could have been done in a much better way. And it's a science which is extremely important and therefore requires, its, you know, it has a right, it requires a due amount of diligence in terms of its delivery. And so, inshallah, that will be something which, uh, you know, which we'll will repeat because I don't think it was very, 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 uh, you know, it flowed very well or that it was structured very well. And that's my on me. It's just simply because I was traveling. So the fifth science is al waqf and Ibtida. Al waqf means stopping. Ibtida means starting. Right, and that's what Ibn al-Jazari mentions in his famous poem, his Mukaddima. وبعد التجويد كل الحروف من معرفة الوقوف والابتداء وهي تقسم إذن ثلاثة تامن وكافن وحسن. And so that's what he's referring to, waqf and Ibtida. The sixth science is the one that inshallah ta'ala we're going to refer to today, and that is Addul ayy. I essentially means the counting of the verses of a surah, the counting of the verses of a surah, and then by extension, obviously, the complete the complete Quran. Out of these six sciences, it is important for us to understand, as, as by way of introduction, that six uh, out of these six sciences, the four are what we call tawqifi. They were established by the Prophet sallallahu They were accepted and established by the Prophet sallallahu and those four are tajweed aqiraat ar-rasm rasm being the form of the word not the dots and everything else we said that came later on in the time of the Tabi'een. so ar-rasm which is the form of the words and al addul ai this one here the one that we're going to do today inshallah ta'ala the counting of the verses these four are what we call tawqifi tawqifi means that they were established by the Prophet It wasn't something which the companions made up. It's not something which the companions discussed or agreed with. It is something which the Prophet did. Now someone may ask, in which hadith? Where did you find that? You know, which hadith does he say, or do this and don't do it like that, or write it like this, or whatever? It's important therefore to understand also that the sunnah, as we know, is of three types. The sunnah is categorized in three ways. Number one, is the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Number two are his actions, and number three are his tacit approvals. What people did in his presence and he allowed them to do. And one of the things which the companions did in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ is they recited the Qur'an. So he didn't have to say to them, read with this mud or that mad or whatever, or read with this ghunnah or that ghunnah in Tajweed, or this qira'a is different to that qira'a. But what he did is he listened to them and he approved their recitation. And that is what the companions then themselves recited and taught later on. He also approved their writing of the Qur'an. Zayd ibn Thabit, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Ubay ibn Uqab. A number of the companions, Mu'abi ibn Abi Sufyan, a number of them, Radhiya Abdullah ibn Zubayr. They would write the Qur'an in the presence of the Prophet. They were his scribes. And that's why when Abu Bakr Radhiya comes and he gathers the, the Mus'haf or he, he compiles the Qur'an, what's his compilation? It's bring me all of those different parchments and let's put it together into one book, one book form. That's essentially what he does. Which means therefore that the Qur'an is being written. Now when the Qur'an is being written, who is it being written in front of? Who is approving that, that that reading or that writing of the Qur'an, that script? The Prophet wasallam? And then the addul ay The number of verses is also established by the Prophet wasallam. And this is important to understand. So therefore those four, if they are established by the Prophet wasallam, it means that the other two are what we call ijtihadi, Somewhere where people can come and they can use their knowledge and whatever to decide what is better or not so dabd is something which is ijtihadi. Dabd, the the tashkeel and the and, the, and the, the you know the vowels and the dots and so on that's something which the scholars came up with later which is why you will find differences sometimes between this script and that script slightly not in the actual forming of the word but in what in the dots in the dots and in the vowels that they use and so on and people often become confused because if they were to see for example the you know the the saudi printing of the quran with some other country and they would say oh no but they use this type of dot and they use that type of vowel and they that's because it is ijtihadi that is a science which is ijtihadi and the second science is that which is ijtihadi when do you start and when do you stop because the prophet other than giving us the end of the verses didn't tell us stop here and you can't stop there, stop here and you can't stop there. So what the scholars did then is based upon the tafsir of the Qur'an and the meaning of the verses and what Allah Azza wa Jalla is speaking about, they decided that these are good places to stop and those places, if you stop there, they're problematic, they mess up the meaning and they twist the meaning or they distort the meaning of what Allah Azza wa Jalla is trying to say and that is why that becomes Ijtihad. That's why you will find when you go to your local masjid or you listen to a reciter you know, on, online or you go to the Haram in Mecca or Medina, you will find that this Imam recites that verse and he stops in the place that the other one doesn't. And that one stops in the place that this third one doesn't. And that's because it is Ijtihadi. It is based upon your knowledge of tafsir and so on. And so the more knowledgeable that you are, the better that you will be able to decide where and where to stop. And the least or the less knowledge that you have, the more difficult it is for you. Which is why, you know, in most of these Qur'ans now they've made that life that that life easy for people. And what they've essentially done is they just said to them, Look, you know, you just follow our stops and starts in between in the middle of verses to make life easy for you. These this is an introduction that is extremely important for us to to remember. Now, someone may ask then the question, you know, how what is the proof of this that the Prophet proved all of this? We have a number of hadith, but I will only give you one because of the shortness of time. And that is the Hadith of Umar when he heard one of the companions, another companion reciting the Quran. And this Hadith is in Bukhari, it's a well known Hadith. uh, And and it's in the famous collections of Hadith that he heard the companion reciting the Quran in a way other than the way that he had recited and learned that Surah from the Prophet So he grabbed that companion by his collar and he dragged him to the Prophet And they were reciting Surah Al-Furqan. And he said, O Messenger of Allah, I heard this man recite the Quran in a way that I wasn't taught, I don't know it, I don't recognize it. And so the Prophet ﷺ said to Umar, let him go. And then he said to the man, read to me, and he recited. And the Prophet ﷺ said, that is how it was revealed to me. And then he said to Umar, you read now. And Umar read, and he said, that is also how it was revealed to me. And so this shows that in Tajweed, in Qiraat, in the rasim, in there are differences that will that will take place. That the Prophet sallam allowed to take place, and that is what we call the Ahruf al suba the seven, you know, dialects or the seven uh, dialects, for lack of a better word, uh, of the Quran and so on. That's something which is you know well known in the different hadith of the Prophet sallam. But it shows that the Prophet sallam gave tacit approval. Now the hadith, the hadith doesn't go into the detail that he recited this verse in this way, and Umar recited in that way, and this is the the ruling of Tajweed that he made here. No, this is why we call it tacit approval. So now, how do we know, you know, we, what what is the correct Rasam and what? Because this has been passed down to us from generation to generation, and that is why we say that the Quran, in its in its tajweed, in its qiraat, in its Rasam in all of these things, in its ad, all of this it is mutawatir. It is mutawatir, meaning that it is there are so many people that narrated this upon every level of the chain that it is something which the ummah has accepted that there can be no fault in. Now there is an important point here to also mention. I will just mention this very briefly then we'll go into our science today because this introduction itself I I could probably spend like the rest of this lesson doing uh, because it is very important. But inshallah ta'ala maybe at some other point or maybe we will will find uh, another place to do this. There is a difference when we say mutawatir in the understanding of the scholars of hadith and in the understanding of the scholars of the Quran. And it's important to know this. If you're reading a book of hadith and someone says this is mutawatir they mean that there's enough re- uh, narrators of this upon every chain of narration that it's not possible that they would have colluded to lie and to fabricate this particular narration. And then they differ, the scholars of hadith, as to what is the minimum amount that you need for it to be mutawatir. Some said three, some said four, some said more, some said less, whatever. But they kind of start at a very low number. With us, when it comes to the Quran and we say mutawatir, we're not, saying, we're not saying that it's three or four or five people we're saying that it's a generation of people, generation upon generation. And when we say generation, if you were to say, for example, oh, you know, like, name to me all of the people in every generation, you don't need to, because it's a generation of people that have accepted this. So when the scholars of Quran narrate something to us in Tajweed, in Qiraat, in Rasim, it is important to understand that they're saying generation from generation. So for example, if someone was to come now and say, you know, who are the people who can attest to the truthfulness of the Qur'an now? we would say it is the Muslims of the world. I don't need to name them to you. I don't need to say, number one, Ahsan, number two, Zaid, number three, Jabir, number four, Jamal. I don't need to do that for you. It's enough for me to say the Muslims of the world, meaning that there's hundreds, thousands, millions of them. And that is what the scholars of Qur'an did. They didn't need to go like in hadith because there's only two narrators that mention this hadith, or three narrators that heard it from that scholar or whatever. No. In Qur'an, because of the way that Allah will preserved the Qur'an, it is something which people took generation upon generation. And it is important to make that distinction between Qur'an and between the sciences of hadith. There are two very different things when it comes to this type of thing. If someone was to come today and say, and he's someone who is authentic, or someone who is a trustworthy narrator, and he was only one person, and he was to say, or three people, or five people, and they were to say, this is the Qur'an, and it's a change to the Qur'an here, we wouldn't accept it. And that's why you will find in the books of hadith, you will find, for example, that the reading of Ibn Abbas or Ibn Mas'ud or Umar or Aisha was different to what we have before us. These are companions of the Prophet. Some of these are hadith are al Bukhari. Like they're not just like narrations that someone made up, they're in Sahih al Bukhari and Sahih Muslim and these collections of hadith. But no one reads the Quran in the way that they read, that those companions read. They learned from the Prophet, but those readings then. They they, they they stopped being being used. And because they stopped being used, it wasn't enough that two narrators or three narrators or four narrators came and even though they were trustworthy, they said that this is the Quran. Rather with the Quran, it requires a level of tawatur that you don't have in any other science. And that is that it is generation from generation, generation from generation. And that is why until today, when you come to reading the Quran, that is the, you know, when you get an ijaz and reading the Quran, that is essentially what you are, Referring to all the way back to the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam. So these four sciences therefore are what we call tawqifi. And from those sciences is Ilmul Ad, Addul ay. Addul ay essentially means the, the numbering of the verses of the Quran in every single surah. And this is something which is well established that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam established this in a number of hadith. That there are verses and that they should be counted within the surah. So, for example, uh, for example, the Prophet ﷺ said concerning Surah Tabarak Surah Tabarak or Surah Al-Mulk, he said that there are thirty. There is a surah consisting of thirty verses. Whoever reads it before they go to sleep will be saved from the trial of the grave or from the punishment of the grave, as the Hadith says. So, the Prophet ﷺ is showing that there is a surah that has a number of verses. He's showing to them that in this surah there must be a number of verses. which shows also, therefore, that the numbering of verses of each surah was established by the Prophet ﷺ. So it was radiallahu ﷺ or one of the companions who came and said, "No, actually, you know, in, in, in uh, Surah Al-Fatiha there's seven verses or in this surah there's 30 or in that surah there's 110 or whatever it may be. It was from the Prophet ﷺ. And that is where Allah mentions himself in the Qur'an about Surah Al-Fatiha that it is the sab'ul mathani the seven oft-repeated verses. And the Prophet ﷺ said concerning Ayatul Kursi, he said that there is أي uh, آية في كتاب أعظم, which is the greatest verse in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they said it is Ayatul Kursi. And so therefore, the Prophet ﷺ is establishing this principle. And so the companions... The way that they would learn the Qur'an is different to the way that we learn the Qur'an. Now you go and you go to a teacher and you read Qur'an or whatever, and then you go to a teacher and you learn Tajweed and you do Tajweed, and maybe later on you will go and you will do Qiraat or whatever. In the time of the companions of the Prophet they would learn the Qur'an and they would learn Tajweed with it, and they would learn Tafsir with it, and they would learn Addul Ay with it. They would count on their fingers the verses. Because remember, they don't have a physical copy of the Qur'an for today. It's all verbal. It's all oral. And so they're counting with their fingers. And there's a number of narrations in the Musannaf ibn Abi Shaybah that even in the Salah, in, in Taraweeh and Qiyamul Layl, as the companions in the Tabi'een, they would be reading the Quran, they would use their fingers to count the verses. This is verse number one, this is verse number two, this is verse number three, this is verse, and so on and so forth. And this is what they would do in their Salah until later on obviously the Quran is compiled and it's you know widely available and, and so on and so forth. And then therefore the need for that maybe is not so much as it used to be before. And so this is something which is well established within the narrations amongst the companions in particular رضي الله So the companions would understand and they would learn عدل Ai. they would learn the verses of the Qur'an and there are a number of benefits by there being by the way verses of the Qur'an that are ending or the ending of the verses or counting these verses. There are benefits of تجويد benefits of تجويد because there are certain um, you know, certain قراء that they make imalah they make imalah at the end of a verse so for example uh, you know for example certain certain uh, certain imams of of qira'ah they make imalah imalah is essentially when you make uh, a certain sound like in haf's we have only one example of this and that is in surah hud in the statement of allah azza wa jalla majraha majraha we don't say majriha, we don't say majraha, we say majareha. It's in between a fatha and a kasra, And that is a dialect of the Arabs. Even today if you were to go to Syria, Lebanon, that part of the world, they still speak like this. They still speak with this imala. The imala is essentially a sound that is made in between a fatha and a qasra. And it sounds like this re, e, ke, te, like this. This is how people still speak even until our time today. That is only done at the end of verses in certain places of the Qur'an for certain Qur'an. That's one of the benefits. From the benefits of knowing the end of the verses of the Qur'an, is some of the scholars were of the position that in order for your salah to be correct, you have to read a verse of the Qur'an, a surah of the Qur'an. Some of the scholars were of that position after Fatiha you need to read a surah of the Qur'an. Some of the scholars were of the position that in the Khutbatul al-Jumu'ah the Imam has to read at least one verse of the Qur'an. And so, therefore, if we don't have Addul ay we don't have numbering of verses. A lot of these issues, a lot of these, like you know, uh, a lot of these things would be left. And that's why the companions they paid extreme attention to this. For example, the hadith of Ibn Abbas رضي الله when he says, "The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم, I was staying in the house of my aunt Maimuna because I wanted to pray the night prayer with him." The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم woke up, and the first thing he did, he said, was he recited the last ten verses of Surah Al Imran. Ten verses, and so the companions would count these things. They would understand this. In fact, as we've said before in QP, that one of the ways that the companions would measure things was in the recitation of the of the of the verses. How long between the Prophet ﷺ and between him going to pray fajr? Between the adhan and fajr? Oh, it is thirty verses, forty verses, fifty verses. They would count things based upon numbers of verses. Which means, therefore, that the addul ai' is something which was well known. You can't say to someone. 20 verses, if they have no concept of what a verse is or how long a verse is or what it's referring to, it means that it's something which the companions were all very familiar with and all, uh, all, uh, you know, they were well uh, well informed of. And so this is Addul Ay. Now, one of the things that we therefore have to understand then before we go into this is that there is a difference in the way that these verses are counted. There is a difference in the way that these verses are counted very quickly and I don't want to go into too much uh, you know because this is a long and deep topic but just very briefly just so that we have a very inshallah ta'ala basic understanding um, of this and, and if we need to go on to some of these issues next week before we start with our tafsir of our surah then inshallah ta'ala we will do so. Um, when we look at this in the time of the Prophet we know that the Qur'an was revealed upon seven dialects, seven dialects and those seven dialects are essentially the dialects that the Uh, the Prophet uh, was uh, himself asked for. Because in the hadith, the Prophet said that the Quran was revealed upon a single dialect, so asked Allah to give me another one. He gave me two and then three and four until he reached seven. Why seven dialects? Because the Arabs, Allah and the Prophet want the Quran to spread amongst Arabia. In order for it to spread amongst Arabia, the different dialects of the Arabs need to be incorporated. They need to be incorporated. And so the way the people of Mecca speak is different to the way the people of Medina. The people of Medina speak different to the way the people of Najd. The people of Najd different, is different from Bani Tamim to Bani Hudain to all of these different tribes that the Arabs had amongst them. Now, if you look at all of these Arab tribes, therefore, these seven dialects were meant to incorporate all of them. And that continued in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. it continued in the time of Abu Bakr, it continued in the time of Umar, and it continued for the early part of the Khilaf of Uthman. And that is why these differences that you have in terms of Abu Darda read like this, and Ibn Mas'ud read like this, and someone else read like this, this is where it comes from the Prophet and that's essentially the meaning of the hadith of Umar that I mentioned before, when he differed with one of the companions. And he's not the only one. There's a similar relation of Ibn Mas'ud and others that they also differed with other companions, and they also come to the Prophet sallallahu and he said to them, read the Qur'an in the way that I taught you. He would say that to each one of them. Meaning for you, I taught you in that way, Read it in that way, and so on and so forth. In fact, even in the time of, of Umar radiallahu uh, an, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, he used to teach certain people the Qur'an based upon their dialect. So for example, in the dialect of Al-Hudayl, the word Hatta with the Ha is pronounced with the "ain" Atta ain." He would recite this for them and he would say, this is your dialect, you read it like this. And Umar radiallahu anhu used to say to him, don't do that. Tell him, teach him the way the Quraysh read, with the Ha, don't, don't use the Ayn, read in the way that the Quraysh use. And so these are the different dialects that we have. In the time of Uthman, as we know, with the second compilation of the Qur'an, essentially what happens is that the ummah has become so wide and diversified and because all of these people are entering into Islam, people are now starting to fight. When the Muslims were few, they understood dialects. But now that the Muslims are many, people are now starting to fight and to differ and to say, no, this is right and this is wrong and your Qur'an is correct and mine is incorrect and so on. And so Uthman decides to take all of those Ahruf and to put them into a single one he chooses one harf from the seven. That's a more accurate way of saying it. He chooses one harf from the seven and the rasam that is with that, the the script or the forming of the word, the script of the Qur'an, whatever it allows in terms of variance within that script, he accepts. And anything that that isn't within that is removed. Not because it's not Qur'an but because this is the position of Uthman in order to unite the Muslims upon a single harf of the Quran or a single dialect of the Quran and all of the companions accepted this by the way. So it is Ijma' of the companions and the Prophet told us to follow the example of the Khulafa and the Ijma' of the companions so this is what they chose. So those companions who are reading in different ways are still reading in different ways and they're still teaching their students but those people are becoming less and less and less and less because the majority now are with Uthman. Why? Because Uthman said to everyone else, every other copy of the Quran should be buried. And only the ones that I sent you, which is the official version now, in the time of Uthman, those are the ones that you should read. And with each Mushaf that he sent, he sent with it a teacher that would go and to teach them. And that is why you have the different Qiraat now. That is where you get the different Qiraat from. So one of them would read Kubra, the other one reads Kubra, the other one reads Kubre, three different ways of reading the same word but the Rasam the script allows for each of them because it's still a Ra it's just that you say Ra I say Ra he says Ra that's what it is and so that's where the Qiraat come from and so all of that is united anything that doesn't fit within that script someone comes and says no, instead of kubrah is kubza. for example even though that's not the case this is just like a, a theoretical thing I'm, I'm giving as an example that wouldn't be accepted because the script now doesn't allow it Actually, that's not even a good example because the script does allowed because there's no dots and so on. But if you were to change Kubra to, for example, um, to, for example, Mubara, change the wording, so the script itself is now changed. It's no longer a kaf, It's a meme or a SaSAD, Sabra or something else. Then that wouldn't be accepted. That would be something which wouldn't go into the script of the Quran. So this is essentially what happens. It is sent to different places, and with that, the ad is also also dependent upon those places that the Quran is being taught. They would teach them the ad of those places because the Prophet ﷺ, just as he taught Qira'at, just as he taught people tajweed, he also taught them the ad. And the ad differs from one harf to another. And because that's something which the the, the, the Quran of Uthman anh, the one that he that he sanctioned, the one that he that he said to the people to take, because it's something which can incorporate the ad, because the ad is essentially just the end of the verse it's something which also therefore survived. And so you have uh, you have seven different ads, seven different numberings of the Qur'an. The first of them is Al-Madani Al-Awwal. Al-Madani Al-Awwal goes back to the teachers of Nafi'a. Nafi'a is the scholar of Medina. Madani Al-Awwal means the first Madani. Uh, for those of you that did the QP special with us in Qira'at, you will know that there's two Qira'at that emerged from Medina. One of them is from Nafi' and the other one is from the teacher of Nafi'. His name is Abu Ja'far. Al Madani al Awwal refers to the reading of Abu Ja'far and, you know, without going too technical, another teacher of Nafi' whose name was Shayba. It's essentially one and the same, but there is a slight difference in a couple of verses between those two teachers of, of uh, Nafi'. So if you were to read now, for example, in the reading on the in the Qira' of Abu Ja'far, you would take the ad, the numbering of Abu Ja'far. That's essentially the numbering of this particular scholar. And his numbering, the total verses in that numbering are 6,217. 6,217. So in our one, you know, the one that we have, which is the Kufi one, by the way. So it's not the Maki one or the Madani one because we're talking about the Qiraat now, and the Qiraat that we read, which is Hafs Asim. Asim was from the reciters of Kufa. The Kufi numbering is six six thousand two hundred and thirty-six. That's how many verses we have in the Quran before our hands. So that one, Abu Ja'far's, is six thousand two hundred and seventeen. So there's a difference of some, you know, my maths isn't brilliant, but something like nineteen odd verses or so on between that and between ours. The second numbering is Al-Madani Al-Akhir. The second or the later Madani. And that's referring to Nafi' himself. It's referring to Nafi' himself. Even though it also goes back to uh, his teachers. Because remember, when we say it's the reading of Nafi' or the reading of Ja'far, they aren't the first ones to come up with this. They're going back to the Tabi'een and the companions and all the way back to the Prophet But like the Qiraat, these are just the people who became famous for it. And so it's named after them. Or it's named after the places that they emerged from. That's what we have to also remember and in the second Madani uh, Ad or numbering the verses are 6214, 6,214. the third numbering is the makki numbering the makki numbering which goes from the the Imam of Mecca which is Ibn Kathir in Qiraat and it goes back to his teachers which are Mujahid Allah Taala, the famous scholar of Tafsir, the Ibn Abbas, and from Mujahidikhul to Ibn Abbas and Ubi ibn Ka'ab and others anhum. And in that numbering we have 6,210. 6,210. Number four is the Kufi, the Kufi numbering. And the Kufi numbering are the ones that we read. In asim and Hamza and uh, you know and and uh, Kisa'i. These are all the ones that use the Kufi numbering and they go in their chain of narration back to Hamza and from Hamza they will go back to Ibn Abi Layla to Abu Abu, Abu, Abu Abdurrahman al sulami from the scholars of the tabi'in all the way back to Ali And as i said in our numbering we have 6236 6236 verses in the fifth numbering or the fifth numbering we have the basri numbering which goes back to Abu Amr Al-Basri Abu Amr Al-Basri and from him it goes back all the way to uh, to from the scholars of the tabi'in and so on and so forth as well and their numbering is 6,254, 6,254, and so therefore uh, the numbering of the Basris is the most, 6,200 and, sorry, 6,204, sorry, 6,200, not 54, 6,204. So our numbering is the most, 6,236, which is the Kofi one. The Basri one is 6,204. Number six is the Shami one, which goes back to Abu Sh- uh, to the people of sham and therefore to Ibn Amir. And from Ibn Amir, some say to his teacher, Abu Darda, an, and that numbering is 6,226. And the seventh one is Al-Himsi. Hims is also a place in As-Sham. Uh, and that numbering is 6,232. 6,232. But the Himsi one is no longer used. So the Qur'a of As-Sham, which is the reading of Ibn Amir, will use the Shami numbering and they will not use the Himsi one. So they've chosen to use the Shami one now. Because, both of them Sham, but they just chose that they would use. Just like Hamza and Asim and Kisai, all of them united upon the Kufi one. Likewise, the people of as have just chosen the Shami one as opposed to the Himsi one. And so therefore, those are the seven numberings that we have. The seven numberings that we have. An example of this, a practical example so you can understand now. We've all agreed that there are seven verses in Surah Al-Fatiha. It's mentioned in the Quran in a number of verses. It's mentioned in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. However, there is a difference between the way that we count the seven verses and between the way that they are counted in other types of the numberings that we've mentioned now. So, for example, in our numbering, in verse number one is what? What is verse number one? If you look in the Mushaf and you open the Quran, verse number one, In Surah Al-Fatiha is Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Bismillah rahman rahim Whereas in other numberings you will find that verse number one is Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen So for us if Bismillah Ar-Rahman rahim is verse number one then we have بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدين المستقيم صراط الذين لم غير المغضوب عليهم من الضالين. 7 If the Basmala is not verse number 1 as it is in certain verses in certain of these numberings then they will read الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين. In Sirat al الَّذِينَ Sirat عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ And so they've essentially added Sirat الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ as a verse. So the overall thing doesn't make a difference in surah al-Fatiha. In other surahs, yes, it will make a difference. So in certain surahs, there will be one more or one less or whatever. This is something, therefore, that we need to understand also that you will have those differences. So for example. In ayatul kursi, in some of these numberings, in some of the qira'at that we have, the qira'at are mutawatir, they go back all the way to the Prophet they are mutawatir generation from generation to generation. Ayatul kursi is two verses, not one. Ayatul kursi is two verses, not one. Okay, so let's find Ayatul kursi at the beginning of the third juz, and by the way when you do these specials now it would be a good idea to have the mushaf with you, I think it will be easier for you. In, in, the, uh, in the in the Ayatul Kursi, in the numbering of Al-Madani Al-Akhir, the second Madani, al akhir the 2nd madani al makki and Al-Basri, Allah la ilaha illa al-hayyul qayyum is a verse. And then, لا تأخذوا is another verse. Now this brings a question here which is important therefore. And that is that the Prophet ﷺ said, what is the greatest verse of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is the greatest verse of the book of Allah عز wa And the reply was, Ayatul kursi the verse of al kursi. He didn't say two verses, he said one. And likewise in the hadith that we've mentioned before of Abu Sa'id ibn mualla in Sahih al-Bukhari. When he said that Allah عز says, that I have divided Fatiha between me and my servant. If my servant says, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Allah says He has praised me. Ar Rahman Ar Allah says He has glorified me, and so on and so forth until the end of that hadith. In that hadith, that wording, He doesn't mention the Basmala. He doesn't begin Fatiha with the Basmala. He begins with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Which is, you know, the evidence that some of the scholars used to say that the Bismillah or the Basmala isn't from Al Fatiha. However, by Ijma' of certain Qurra all the way back to the Prophet that Bismillah is a part of Fatiha. Just as we've seen here in the nominal Kufi, all you have to do is open the Quran, go to Surah Al-Fatiha, you will find Bismillah verse number one. What does that mean? It means that by Ijma' in this recitation of the Kufis, it is considered to be a verse of the Quran. The question therefore is, how do we then understand these Ahadith? Because now this is going to be a question that, that it's important that we understand. And I'm not going to answer this for you this week, inshallah ta'ala. I will answer it for you next week because it's one of those things that I'd like you to research. For those of you that are interested, for those of you that you know, inshallah ta'ala have an interest and you want to further your studies, it's a good thing to try to understand and to see what you can get to in terms of uh, in terms of recitings. And without going to too much difficulty and detail on trying to do mental arithmetics or acrobatics or anything else, very simple. How can we understand this in ways that are that are simple and go back to the Quran and the Sunnah? And the key in this is to remember that this is by Ijma, this is mutawatir. So you can't come to me and say, "Oh no, this is this." We're saying this is mutawatir. This is mutawatir. Both are mutawatir. And so, uh, you know, I have intimated the answer anyway in today's lesson. But let's see, Inshallah, ta'ala, what you come up with for next week and it is an important uh, point anyway because it is one of the things that people now use to say no the Quran wasn't uh, you know, preserved in the way that it should have been in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and all these things and by the way the people have these issues now with the Quran not being preserved and secularists and this and people coming and saying no there's problems and oh no but this is it, it's, uh, it's usually because they haven't read the books of the major Quran, the major Imams of Quran and when I say the major Imams of Quran I'm not referring to people like a tabari Ibn Kathir and others because they are Imams of tafsir. I'm talking about the scholars who focused upon the Quran reading these sciences that I said to you, Ad, al ay and Rasam, and Waqf al and Qiraat. These are the scholars, people like Abu Amr al-Dani, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, and his student, Abu Dawood Suleiman ibn Najah, and Makki ibn Talib, and ibn Al Jazari, and all of these scholars. These are the people who are experts in this particular field. Not not tafsir, because tafsir is a different science. Tafsir doesn't mean that you're an expert in qira'at. Tafsir doesn't mean that you're an expert in tajweed. Tafsir doesn't mean that you're an expert in addu Al-Ai or waqfan ibtida. It can help and it may help, but it doesn't mean that you are an expert. But those scholars who dedicated their lives to these six sciences that I mentioned to you at the beginning, those are the ones that we're referring to, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, so that's essentially the seven. Now, there's one point that I want to therefore conclude upon. The last thing that I want to mention is. Now, one of the things that we have to also understand is that the ends of the verses of the Quran are what we call or there is a term in Arabic that is known as Fawasil. Fawasil essentially means the ending and it can be the end of a verse or it can be after the end of the verse. It is essentially when the meaning is complete. When the meaning is complete. One of the things that you will notice in the Quran which shows to you that adul ayat, this is one of the greatest Evidences to show that adul ay is something which was given by the Prophet The numbering of the verses was dictated by the Prophet wasallam. Is because of the way that the verses end The way that the verses end So for example This is an example which I think most people will be familiar with Inshallah ta'ala um, But just, just, uh, just to make it inshallah even clearer If I can find the verse In Surah Al-Baqarah When Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala Says In verse number 219 Allah Azza wa Jalla says كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَفَكَّرُونَ and thus, we have made the signs or the verses of Allah clear to you, that you may be people who comprehend and people who think. People who, 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 uh, you know, who, who, who reflect and contemplate and think. And then Allah says in the next verse, two twenty, fit wal akhirah, in this life and the next. The fit dunya in this life and the next is connected to the previous verse, that you may be people who think in this life and the next. That is the meaning of the verse. But in the middle, it's cut off. There's an ending of the verse that is done there. Now, if it was to be put by me, or by you, or by anyone else, we would have put the ending of the verse after because that's what makes sense. Because that's where the meaning is complete. But what Allah doesn't do that. Allah وتعالى, because this his book, he does as he pleases And so Allah places the stopping there. And there are many examples of this. But for example, also, uh, you know, in different parts of the Quran, you will find this, and, and we don't have the time, honestly, to go through this now because it would require a great deal of study. But one of the things that I would recommend for all of you, especially those of you who have memorized the Quran, you're doing tajweed, you're doing a bit of qiraat, and so on, study the Quran with a scholar who knows Addul الآي and knows Rasim and knows وقف الابتداء. And as you read to that Shaykh from beginning to end, get him to stop and tell you about this. You will appreciate. You will appreciate the Quran and its study. In a way that you didn't understand before. And that is by the way that the way of the self and what they used to do. One of the things that you will find in the Quran is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as the Arabs used to do in their poetry and so on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often makes the ending of the verses the same. So that is there is almost a poetic form in the Quran. So this the, for example there will be passages that all of the surahs or all of the verses end with the noon. Other passages where they end with a meme. Other passages where they end with a Ra. Other passages where they end with an Alif and so on and so forth. So for example, if you were to look at Surah Taha, that's a good example. More or less, every single verse in Surah Taha ends the same way. And that is that it always ends with the Alif. Ha ma anzalna لَهُمَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا وَمَا وَإِن تَجَهَرْ بِالْقَوْلِ فَإِنَّهُ يَعْلَمُ السِّرَّ وَأَخْفَى Always. Uh, 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 that is how it ends. And that is why in this surah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's only surah in the Qur'an, when Allah azza wa jal refers to the story of the um, the magicians, when they prostrated before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they realized that this was the religion of truth and they prostrated. And they said that we believe. What did they say? They said we believe. Uh, if I can find it here. They said we believe in the Lord of Harun and Musa. In every other verse of the Quran, in, when this story is mentioned, Musa is always mentioned first because he was the great of the two prophets, the great of the two messengers, the one that was first appointed by Allah. They say we believe in Musa and Harun. But here Allah switches the two in order to be able to keep the same way of the Qur'an or the same ending of the verses there. And then there are exceptions to this at times as well, even in this surah as well. But that's a different, uh, you know, inshallah ta'ala. Maybe that's something which if someone reminds me next week, we can speak to uh, speak about in more detail. But the most common ending of the Qur'an in verses is the letter Noon. Ta'malun, It is the most common uh, you know some of them said half of the Quran ends with the noon in a verse. And the second most common is meme. And the noon and the meme as we know are very similar. Even in Tajweed, the rules of meme sakina, noon sakina, meme shaddah, noon shaddah are very close because the two of them are close. And there's about twelve percent of the verses of the Quran that end with the meme. Gafur Rahim, Ali Hakim, Ali Halim. all of these different verses that end with the meme. So essentially nearly uh you know two thirds of the Quran end with either a Noon or a Meen in that particular way and Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of questions that we have here inshallah ta'ala, anything that I don't answer this week please remember the question and ask me next week because these are important topics and I want us to have inshallah ta'ala a good understanding of them uh, before we continue inshallah ta'ala with our next one uh, and this is something by the way which is a very long uh, It's a very long topic uh, We could we could speak about this for a very long time and it's something which is important to understand uh, but it's also something which is time consuming. But if you have questions, inshallah ta'ala over next week, inshallah we can answer them. And as we come on to see the different sciences uh, inshallah ta'ala that are uh, that are connected to the recitation of the Quran, then inshallah that's something which will also become clear as well. Okay, why is the number of verses different if it was predefined already by the Prophet? Could you please clarify? I didn't think I don't think I quoted completely. Because the Prophet defined it in that way. The Prophet ﷺ gave different numberings to different companions as they were reciting. And that's essentially the hadith of Umar. Umar comes and recites in a different way to the other companion to the extent that he doesn't recognize his reading. The Prophet ﷺ said it was revealed this way, it was revealed that way. He agreed with this one and he agreed with that one. And likewise he did with the numbering of the verses. It was important here as a general principle to remember when we come to these issues, don't use your intellect or you know, for lack of a better word, don't use your rationale. Don't use your logic. The Qur'an is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He does as he pleases. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught it in the way that Allah azzawajal commanded him to do so. Does it make a difference if this surah has 20 verses or 21 verses? No, it doesn't make a difference. If I say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in Fatiha is verse number one and you say no, it's not verse number one. What difference does it make? Has it changed the meaning of the Qur'an? Has it changed the, the importance of the Qur'an? No, it hasn't changed anything. In fact, what it shows is that the Prophet Sallallahu allowed a certain amount for the Arabs to understand the Qur'an. He allowed for them a certain amount of, of leeway, like we, as we had in the Ahruf, in the dialects. Why didn't, doesn't everyone recite the Qur'an as kubra? Why do some people say kubra, kubra, kubra? Why do they recite in this different way? Because the Prophet ﷺ and Allah allowed this to happen. It is from the beauty of the Qur'an. That is what makes the Qur'an so unique. That from a single script, you can recite it in different ways and it adds to the beauty of the Book of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. When you say that Allah is the owner of the Day of Judgment and others say He is the King of the Day of Judgment, the two words are very similar in meaning but there is also a distinction. An owner is not the king and the king is not necessarily an owner. And so each one of them is essentially giving you an added meaning and that is from the beauty of the Book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Do we know what the Qira of the Prophet was like? How did he prefer to recite the Quran? And what does Mutawatir mean? We have a number of hadith that the Prophet wasallam, his Quran, his recitation was mad. That the Prophet would make his mudud clear, which means that he would recite by giving every one of those letters that you write. So he would say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Ar-Rahman. Those two harakas that we have in in Tajweed, he would make them clear. And if for those of you that listen to Sheikh Hussari and Shawi and those scholars, uh, those reciters rather. You will see this is how they recite. إليك, not نوحيها إليك, نوحيها إليك. So it's very clear where the mad is in each one. And likewise, the Prophet has mentioned in the Hadith of Hafsa and others, that his recitation would be mufassara harfan harfa. Each letter would be distinct. So he wouldn't jumble up the letters. And that is this, this is not to do with the Tajweed, which is also from... Those sciences which the Prophet ﷺ gave to people as he taught them to recite the Quran, he taught them to recite in a, certain, in a certain way. And that recitation of the Quran is important because sometimes what we do is we make, you know, we jumble things up. <speaking in Hebrew> it's different to. <speaking in Hebrew> you don't know which word is what. The Prophet would not recite like that and he would recite slowly. The Prophet's general recitation was considered to be slower. And mutawatir means that there are enough people at every single level of, of, of transmission that it's impossible for them to include it, as JazakAllah as, uh, Khair, someone mentioned that in the comments anyway. Are we saying that all the harf were abrogated and Uthman only put down one harf? No. I don't, we don't necessarily say the word abrogated. Abrogated means that it is lifted, that it's no longer valid. And that's not the case. Because their companions are recited with them. They continue to recite until their deaths. Uthman, sorry, Ibn Mas'ud and Abu Darda and other companions, they would consider to recite, they continue to recite this. All that we're saying is that Uthman said, for the betterment of the Ummah, this is the one that we should all abide by. Those companions that were reciting, continued to recite. They had students that recited also from them. They learned from them, but they're fewer now. Because if you have the whole of the of the of the country or the whole of the of the you know government or whatever pushing you towards one thing, that's what the majority of people are going to do. And everyone else is going to become less and less and less. And so essentially by the second or third generation of Muslims, those scholars that were teaching in those other Ahruf or that knew of them and had learned them from their teachers, they kind of stopped teaching them or they weren't necessarily, you know, uh, recitations that continued. Which is why even today in, in the books of Tafsir, you will find that al Hasan basri recited like this and al shabi recited like that, and whatever. That's what that's referring to. It's referring to those other ahruf, but over time they stopped. Why don't we recite with them today now? Because our isnad in terms of the mutawatir transmission doesn't include them, doesn't go back to them. You can't recite in the recitation of al-Hassan al-Basri because you don't have an isnad at every level of general, of, of transmission that is mutawatir all the way back to al Hasan al-Basri or to al shabi or to ibn Mas'ud uh, other than the ones that we have. And one of the the things that some of the scholars of Qira'ah said that showed that even the major companions like Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, who as we said would have would teach people with their own dialects that he stopped doing that is because all of our chains of narration for those of you that we just in the Quran look at your chain of narration who does it go back to after Hafs? It will go back to Ibn Mas'ud and Zayd ibn Thabit and Ali and Uthman and those companions we showed that even Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, he came back to the position of Uthman and others that he started to continue and do what Uthman and that's why we have the ijma the consensus of the companions of the Prophet وسلم, upon the action of Uthman to the extent that Ali radiallahu anh, has reported that he said that if it was me and I was in the position of Uthman, I would have done exactly the same thing. Uh, okay, excellent. And that's a good point that uh, the sisters just mentioned, Solange mentions the, the advice about one's use of logic is so important when studying grammar. Allah is not bound by grammar. We deduce grammar from the Qur'an. Everything that is permissible in the Arabic language doesn't mean that it's permissible in the Qur'an. That's an important principle to remember. Just because it is correct as an Arabic dialect or an Arabic form of poetry or literature or anything else, doesn't mean that Allah allowed it in the Qur'an. Whereas what we have in the Qur'an is the most eloquent of what the Arabs have and so one does not necessarily there has to be in the other but obviously what is in the quran automatically becomes part of the greatest and most eloquent form of the arabic language and that is a good principle to remember as well so inshallah taala we're going to conclude here today if you have any questions concerning this or the certain things that didn't make sense to you please let me know and if you remind me about the topic that i asked you concerning how do you understand these differences there hadith with the differences in numbering of verses and so on, inshallah ta'ala, will speak about that next week and if you have any other questions as well. But this is a fascinating topic, by the way, and the scholars, they wrote books on this. Adani and others, they have volumes that they wrote on Addul-Ai to show you the differences, and they went through the Qur'an verse by verse to show you where those differences are and so on. And it is from the beauty of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is something which has become, one of the reasons why I mention these topics, for those of you that have been old QP students, you know by now, uh, one of the reasons that I like to bring up these specials and so on is because these are sciences that are dying out. You know, most of you find this strange now, I am sure most of you are sitting there thinking, what on earth is this about? I have never heard this in my life. I didn't know that they were different. Why? This is something which has, uh, which, which the companions, and we have Isnad, we have chains of narration going back from generation to generation, all the way back to the companions with this type of knowledge but it's become lost in our time because no one studies it in this way and no one speaks about it in this way and we just have the Qur'an, and we read it, and we don't really know what's going on about it and so on. And so one of the benefits of this is to inshallah broaden our horizons and to revive these types of sciences of the Qur'an that are unfortunately in our time becoming lost and becoming or being made to be redundant. May Allah azza wa give us all the ability to revive these knowledge sciences of the Qur'an because of their importance and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people of the Qur'an <laughs> the research question is about the general principle. How come the Prophet said that in the hadith of Abu Sa'id, for example, that Allah says, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, and I say this? What about those scholars who start with the Basmala? How do they fit into that hadith? The Prophet said, Ayatul Kursi is the greatest verse of the Quran. But some of the ads and some of the numberings is two verses, not one. So how do we understand that he said one verse and now it's two and so on? that's what i'm referring to the principle as opposed to you know any particular uh, surah or verse but obviously those two examples that i mentioned are a good uh, you know case case based scenario barakallahu fikum assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh